1: When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller karras
2: I'm Elaine Miller-Karis. Welcome to Resiliency Within. Today's show is entitled How Technology Can Save Our Communities from Sexual Violence. And before I introduce our our two guests, I wanna say a little bit about what the show will be about. The Well, first of all, the internet and social media are often perceived as the bad guy, as it has unfortunately been abused by perpetrators to target children, teens, and adults for bullying, sexual harassment, predatory grooming, and sex trafficking. But what if the same technology could be used in a positive way to provide individuals, organizations, and communities with the knowledge and tools they need to address and prevent sexual violence? So today's guests. And they look so young to say 50 years of experience, but they have a combined experience of 50 years in the field of sexual violence prevention and will share why they are convinced that technology is a major key toward eradicating all forms of sexual misconduct. Lauren Roselle is one of the co-founders of Spot the Line and we're going to talk more about Spot the Line, but it's spottheline.com, and we'll say that a few times because we want you to go to the website. It's a tech startup company with a mission to utilize technology for good, providing unique apps for the assessment treatment, and prevention of all forms of sexual misconduct. Joelle Castex is the chief content officer of Spot the Line, and you're going to have to tell us what that means, chief content officer. <laughs> it sounds interesting. And But I want to tell you a little bit more about each one of them um, because they have um, have such illustrious backgrounds. First of all, Lauren has over 30 years' experience, and she's led a dynamic team of instructors in providing over 1,000 trainings in sexual harassment and assault prevention through her company, Esteem. Lauren's expertise includes personal coaching, um, group trainings, and motivation public speaking. She also holds a master's degree in interpersonal communication, and she's provided programs to a diverse array of corporations, organizations, colleges, middle and high schools. And I can't believe this number, over 30,000 participants And she is a very lively and enthusiastic teacher. And I think as we hear from her, you're gonna see how enthusiastic she can be about what she believes in. So Joelle Castex is a leading global expert, author and keynote speaker for survivors of child sexual assault and institutional cover-up. With more than 20 years of strategic communication experience, Joelle is also an expert in digital accountability and international online privacy issues, which boy, is that an important topic right now. And on her best-selling publications include The Well-Armored Child, A Parent's Guide to Preventing Child Sexual Abuse, The Compassionate Response, How to Help and Empower the Adult Victim of Child Sexual Abuse, and The Power of Responsibility, which was based on her successful TEDx talk, which people can still listen to. I believe that's so and will have to let us know because I'm sure they're going to want to hear it. But I was also, I went to the website and I was really intrigued by part of I'm not gonna read the whole mission statement that's on the front page, but it, it says that part of your mission is to uplift women and men in an environment of empathy, compassion, and respect. And also that there was a a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think in today's world, it's so important that we remember that we can come forward with what we truly believe in with compassion and with empathy and with respect, and also to be inclusive. Um, How important that is in today's world. So welcome, Lauren and, and, and Joelle and as we start today what is on your mind and I'm gonna go ahead and start with Joel first what is on your mind as we start
3: you know it I I'm always intrigued when other people introduce me because it makes me sound so much cooler than what I really am but um, you know I I forget how much I know sometimes about this subject and it And when I talk about the subject, I mean child sexual assault and prevention and the cover-up of that abuse within institutions. And I'm realizing more and more how important it is to not be shy about it, about what I know, because it's even though I believe that we are far more aware about childhood sexual abuse than what we ever were. It's still happening because there's this general denial among people who think they know or people who just want to assume the best. And so just in our our brief conversation before this show, I thought, you know, I'm really glad we're here because Lauren and I need to be a lot less shy about what we know because people need to hear the message. They really need to hear the message.
2: Thank you so much for that because I do think there can be also conspiracies of silence, sadly even when people know because they don't want to shake the boat of families or institutions. So I imagine you'll address a little bit of that as we, as we speak. So uh, now over to you, Lauren, what would you like to say?
4: Well, I knew you were going to ask this, what's on your mind question. And I thought, I wonder what's going to be on my mind when we start this. And and I was last night catching up on some of my New York times articles. And I came across one that was highlighting the fact that people erroneously thought that sexual harassment was going to disappear once we were all working from home. Uh, and, and I knew that wasn't going to be the case, but it was interesting to kind of see this kind of laid out where people think of, they still think of sexual harassment as like, you know, somebody just patting you on the butt, something physical happening, um, which of course you need to be in person for that. But you know, words can be harassing, images can be harassing, you know, uh, whether it's in person or not. And and the channels that we've been using this past year because of the pandemic, you know, where we're doing all this remote work, um, they're more unmonitored and unrecorded. And they're, they're occurring on outside platforms that are not even employees, employer sponsored. So, of course, there are going to be people who take advantage of that. and And, you know, of course, companies are now scrambling to try to figure out you know, what are our protocols for this? Because I think a lot of companies are going to still allow people to work from home, even when they can come back, right? Some companies are going to be doing some hybrid. So just thinking about how we have to adjust to these new worlds and these new ways of, of interacting and, and the, the players that might still try to take advantage of, of weaknesses.
2: Well, and, and I'm, I'm really anxious to hear more about that because I know part of your mission is to illuminate for others, how do we know if we're being sexually harassed? How do we know that we could be um, being um, groomed as uh, as by a sexual predator? So these are really important because it can happen, yes, in person, as we know, but also it could certainly happen over these Zoom platforms that we now are living with every single day. Now, because we're going to be talking about um, sexual assault and sexual abuse. I also wanted to start out um, by also talking a little bit about, you know, how has your lived experience not empowered you to do your work in the world? But really, a a very important question is, what have you cultivated in terms of your own well-being when you touch upon these very... um, important subjects. And like you said, Joelle, not to be silent about them. How do you cultivate your well-being as you step into this kind of world community to talk about what's very dear to your hearts? So, I mean, now I'll go with Lauren first. So, Lauren, you get to go first this time.
4: All right, sure. So, if we talk about how, are you talking about kind of like personal resiliency?
2: Well, yeah, I think that's would be one word to call it. People sometimes call it personal well-being or personal resiliency. Yes.
4: Yeah, so I think that what I've learned over the years is the more that I talk about what's going on for me personally, whatever it might be triggering me or what's upsetting, um, the sooner I'm able to figure out what I can do to, 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 to get help or someone else is going to tell me, oh, you know, this is what I tried. How about, what do you think of this? And just using my voice and this is of course what I encourage everyone to do is you know speak your truth uh, to not hold it back because that is when you're kind of acknowledging yes this is real for me and it may not make sense to someone else or someone else might not have the same reaction to whatever it is that's uh, upsetting me or might be triggering me but naming it is the first step towards really coming to some kind of resolution and, and
2: moving. Yeah, Well, and thank you for that, because I think there's, a, there's been a lot of controversy over the word resiliency um, of late, and I think that what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's not not to talk about your suffering, but it's to talk about your suffering, but also to re- reach out to the relationships that, that are important to you, and also resources to be able to cultivate how you will not only get through, but maybe thrive as you um, deal with what may have happened to you in your life. Did I say that correctly? You said that wonderfully. Okay. Well, yes. thank you because thank you. I, I I thank you for that because as as our listeners are hearing both of your stories and what you decide to tell us about today, I really also want you all to remember as you're listening. You know what helps you get through hard times and what are the relationships or the experiences and the resources that you have if any of the content matter that we talk about today maybe. Making you feel a little wobbly or jumpy, that you have that to always come back to and to lean on. And so, with that, I'm going to come to Joel. So, to respond to the same question.
3: Well, you know, for me, it's evolved over time um, because my needs at various times have changed, and and I found that you know, as I first came forward, it was a lot about speaking my truth and giving a name to what was going on. And giving myself a voice and letting go of shame and taking back the power that had been taken from me. And as time went on, that continued. But then what build, built upon it was a need to grant myself Grace and grant myself space and boundaries. And it's very easy in the work that I do for people to not respect your boundaries because they need things, they they need me, they need what I can offer them. And b- I was hurt because my boundaries were violated as a child. And the more that I could instill those strong boundaries and my sense of self, the more I could heal. And so that started, and then also granting myself grace because You know, my life hasn't been terribly easy and there have been health effects to all this and there have been, you know, just psychological effects. So I just sometimes just have to sit down and say, it's okay if I don't achieve today. Mm -hmm. It's okay if I don't do X, Y, Z today. It's okay to just exist. Hmm. And so granting myself that grace has been a real, you know, it's hard sometimes. It's hard to let go. But it's been been a huge gift that, um, you know, know, cut myself a little slack and suddenly I feel a lot better.
2: Well, and as you're talking, what really also came forth to me was having self-compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be hard for us that have been abused as children because there's so much when you talk about shame is about not having compassion for ourselves. Somehow we were responsible for what happened to us. So I think that when we can come from that place, of, I love the word grace too. There's something so soft and sweet about the word grace, but to have the grace for ourselves and that self-compassion, I think sometimes, many times um, from self-compassion ca- comes greater advocacy.
3: Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know, there are people in, who've you know, been with you throughout your life. And my dad is one of those for me. And we've had our uptimes and our downtimes, but we are just thick as thieves now. And he's always been the person to say, "Joel, cut yourself some slack. You're your own <laughs> worst enemy. And I realized that instead of, for many years, I took that as a, don't tell me what you're no so good. <laughs> now it's like, he will grant myself grace you know, and just interpret that and internalize that. And it makes a big difference.
2: Well, and I think, you know, you bring up your dad. And um, I'm just also noting that, um, you know, Father's Day is coming up. So I'm just going to say, well, you know, there are times that if we've had fathers that were nurturing to us, that even if they gave us nurturing advice, we couldn't hear it. And so it's very nice that you're calling him out as one of a resource for you today as we're we're starting our, our conversation together. So thank you for that. So let's go to some of the questions that that we've prepared and how did you get involved in the sexual assault prevention movement? Um, let's start with that question. And then the second question is, how have things changed from when you started to now? So now I guess I get to start with um, Joelle this time and then to Lauren. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to, to remember who, who went last first. Okay,
3: That's okay. We won't arm wrestle. All right. All right, Joelle. Um, I, I started because I was a survivor and um, I was sexually abused um, at the high school that I attended in Southern California here in Orange County. And I was um, sexually abused over a two-year period, and during that time, the um, teacher got me pregnant and gave me sexually transmitted disease. And as and I reported to the school, and the response of the school was, "Well, Jamal, that's what it's like to be in love." And they proceeded
2: to. I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear the end of that. That what is that's what it's like to do? Be in love. To be in love. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's what the school responded. Mm
3: -hmm. That's That's appalling.
2: I'm just going to say that's appalling, yes.
3: So they covered it up for years, and I wasn't the only survivor of this guy or other perpetrators at the school. And so um, I lived in a lot of shame. And once I worked on healing, I got really mad. And I was able in 2003 to come forward and file a civil lawsuit against the school and the perpetrator and um, the Diocese of Orange, the Catholic Diocese of Orange, what the school was. And in that, I was able to expose hundreds of pages of documents, including documents in my own file that showed that the school and the diocese knew about this and covered it up. So this was a Catholic school? That, Correct. Catholic, yes. Lay teacher at
2: a Catholic school. A lay teacher.
3: And I found my voice there. And I found that I have an ability to speak on behalf of survivors who are too scared, who um, and speak to survivors who need to hear a message that only another survivor can give them. And um after the case is settled, it was able to blossom. So I've traveled all over the world advocating for survivors. I've been to Guam and Alaska and Rome and and you know all over exposing people who hurt kids and um it's the and question two the change has been dramatic I mean uh we have a big joke in my household that back when I first started this work when my husband and I would go to you know a party or something and people ask me well what do you do I would say I do marketing and PR because if I brought it up people would be like Oh well, you know, I'm gonna go get a hors d'oeuvre, <laughs> and uh, quite what to
2: say to you. When you
3: yeah, and yeah, it's very comfortable now. Twenty years later, I don't tell people when they ask. I say I do marketing and PR because otherwise, they will talk my ear off all night long and ask questions about my work. And, and so that's
2: changed. So there's there's more of an openness in society right now to talk cur- about that people survivors. Yes.
3: Oh, curiosity, openness, um, st- still huge denial, but a big acknowledgement that the problem exists. And we've gotten rid of a lot of that ick factor that kept people from talking about it. And, um, so that's, it's a great first step. It's not perfect by any stretch, but it's a great first step. Now, do you find
2: as the years have gone on from the beginning, when you first decided that you weren't going to be silent, cause it sounded like you became very empowered that this wasn't going to happen to anybody on your watch. If you had any way to, to change this, um, did you find that your ability to talk about it became easier or did it become just more empowered. I know that's kind of an interesting, because I know I've talked to many survivors that said they can feel the wobbliness inside of them, almost like touching into the trauma when they start talking about this experience of being assaulted.
3: It really depends on the situation. Like right now it's empowering because I'm owning it and I'm in a safe place and I'm, you know, I'm helping people and I'm with Lauren and I'm with you and and we are doing great things. But there are other times where it can be really uh, this past week I was speaking out on behalf of survivors of uh, Predator and Fresno and the Predator brought a bunch of supporters and a private investigator to this event. And that was so in scary and intrusive. And all of a sudden I was young and that really, really affected me. Yeah. And so it depends on the situation and it depends on the audience. Um, and, it's it's always become a little bit easier, but there are times that it does affect me more than I. And so
2: when something like that happens, are there ways, like you say, that you you cultivate your well-being that you can come back to, like, feeling your strength again? Or do you kind of get knocked out for periods of time?
3: Um, I'm not going to lie. I'll get knocked out for a day or so. Okay. Um, but that being said, I have a great support system. I have a wonderful husband. I have a son. Um, they know exactly where I'm at and what's going on. Um, we work very hard to keep open lines of communication. And it's no mystery why I'm feeling the way I am. Mm-hmm. And um, that's helpful too, because for many years, it was a mystery. Many years, it was like, why do I feel so terrible? I don't understand why.
2: So now you have a, a framework about why you, you feel this way. And I really I wanted to ask you that question because I know that many survivors may be listening to this. So it doesn't mean that when you speak out that, and you become empowered, and I can just see that even in your face and you, the way you were talking, you know, your whole body movement was empowered. But that doesn't mean that we can feel wobbly sometimes. And that doesn't mean we have to stay there. So there is that pendulation that can happen. And when you're not silent and you've got support like your husband and your and um, your son and your father, then that can help. So I think that's just the other, the piece of it to, to really not be silent because then you don't know what's happening inside of you and there's no one there to comfort you.
3: Well, and and that's where, And the Hollywood ending, so in when it comes to these stories, the Hollywood ending is usually, you know, Joelle speaks her truth and files a lawsuit or Joelle, you know, exposes documents or whatever. or Joelle, But actually that's just the beginning of the story. That's not, the real story is what happens afterward because that's where the growth happens. That's where you have to grow through the process and you have to mature through the process. And so the Hollywood ending really needs to be, you know, living the rest of your life in a happy and fulfilled way.
2: It's the journey. (laughs) It's the journey, right? It's being to, to navigate the journey after that. Yes. Because it's still not, it's still not being silent. Correct. Correct. Yes. But in, in a, in a different way when you're encompassing, helping other people be advocates, because I can imagine that experience in Fresno, whoever were the survivors of that predator, they probably felt pretty supported that you were present with them. Because imagine being alone with someone who brings, you know, people to shore him up when he's been the predator. How scary is that?
3: Yeah.
2: So now I'm going to go over to, um, to Lauren with the same question. Lauren, is how did you get involved in the sexual assault prevention movement too? And how have things changed since you started to now?
4: Sure. Well, when I was in my 20s, I trained to be a peer counselor on the L.A. Rape and Battering Hotline. I had uh, one shift a week. It was usually the Wednesday night overnight shift for about a year and a half. And it was pretty, pretty short time into that um, where I started to think, wait a second, what am I doing on a hotline dealing with people after their traumas? And, and of course, intervention work is incredibly important, but I thought I want to do something on the prevention side. I want to reach people before they're in a situation where they needed to call a hotline to get support. So I just decided I wanted to become a, you know, a prevention expert and became a self-defense instructor and went on staff at the, what was then called the LA commission on assaults against women is now peace over violence and i ran their program for a couple of years they coordinated the self defense program and then i was like oh, i'm not getting to teach enough i'm spending too much time behind a desk and it's the training it's the it's the teaching it's the working with students that i really loved so that's why i started uh, my business and i have to tell you it wasn't until many years of therapy many years of therapy that i even came to a realization of why did i even pick that as my volunteer work why was my volunteer choice to be on a hotline Um, you know, I, I never really thought about it and it was, it was, you know, through working in therapy that I realized that in, in a situation in my family where I had a stepfather who was a predator, um, and who definitely showed sexual interest in me, um, that, that, oh, is it no surprise that my favorite population to work with is middle school and high school girls because that's the age I was when I was at risk. Uh, and I never identified myself as a victim or a survivor or any other language because nothing physically happened, right? So I didn't have an actual brooch of my physical body, uh, a breach rather. Um, and so I'm not a victim or I was just, you know, I had enough resilience or whatever I wanted, wanted to tell myself that that just didn't happen to me and never really identified until many years later that, of course, that had an impact to, to live with that. That that predator in your in your house, whether or not something happened, it was just that fear that something could, right? So that's that's how I. you
2: talk about you know a young person's emerging sexuality that happens during those middle school years, and to have a predator in the house or someone who is harassing you, when you're just kind of beginning to identify with your body as a sexual being, how 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 that amplifies, I believe, the abuse that happens in that time, even if there is no physical touching. Okay. So that's why I'm so excited about the work that you're doing and, and how that, this work can be so important for so many um, young people in the world about even knowing how to identify that something is happening to them. Because you know, like you said, sometimes like what Joelle said, there's stuff that you, you sense and that you feel, but you don't really, you're not connecting the dots. And just what you're saying, Lauren, you didn't connect the dots till later, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we can not only prevent any dots to ever appear, but if once that does happen, that there is a place for you when you're younger so that your voice can be heard and you don't have to wait till we're adults to have that voice. Exactly right. right. So, and I know that's part of, of what you all are are, um, are thinking about. So, you know, we, um, we're we going to take a break in just a little bit, but before we do that, I'm wondering, um, can you tell us a little bit, and we're going to talk more after the break about this as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the transformations you've witnessed through teaching physical self-defense trainings and working with survivors of childhood sexual abuse? We actually had an experience together once Um I also want to tell you that we also interviewed Patty Giggins, who is the current executive director of Peace Over Violence, and she also shared with us that she was like, when she was living in France, there was she was one of 100 people getting her, her black belt, and she was the only woman, and she's very small stature, um, petite, Lauren, just like you. So, I, I, I'm saying that because I don't think you have to be a big, tall person okay. to learn self-defense strategies, and I know that you've spent Thirty years helping people to do that. So when we come back from the break, I really want to spend a little bit more time talking about that in detail. But I, I was wondering, did you work with Patty when you were at?
4: I did. She was the executive director from way back when, so she was she was definitely my boss.
2: Oh my gosh, we've never talked about that. I just and, love and, that connection. And we had lost
4: touch, but she um, she heard about our podcast because she follows Joel's uh, um, social media, and she's like, oh my gosh. You you're, you're working with Lauren. You know well, but, and i just
2: love uh, it you know i've, I've seen this in uh, the people that i've known and now here we are talking um is that there's this serendipity this kismet that happens and that i just i believe that that kismet is, and serendipity is is part of the optimism of the universe as much as there's there's suffering and hardship and pain and of course we've heard about all the hate of late but there's also love and there's those that are called together to try to create you know a better world and i think that's truly what the two of you are doing with what you're embarking upon so um so with that um, we're going to take a little bit of a break and so when we return listeners we will hear more from from joelle and lauren and they'll tell us a little bit more about um the importance of what they're trying to do in the world that i think can have a huge social impact so with that we'll take a small break and we'll be back in a couple minutes
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair. To hope, We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
5: Elaine Miller-Karis' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com trauma resource institute build resilience awaken hope your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: this is resiliency within with elaine miller karras
2: Well, we are coming back with Joelle Castex and Lauren Roselle, who are telling us about the wonderful work they're about to launch. Um, and we are going to continue our conversation with a question that we started right before the break, but I'm going to ask it again. And that is, can you tell us about the transformations that you've witnessed through through teaching physical self-defense trainings and working with survivors of, of childhood sexual abuse? So, who would like to go first? Okay, I'm going to go with Lauren this time. Lauren, I okay. think you're next.
4: Sure. I... <laughs> I I love this question because that is the best part of my job. Um, I've always said that when I teach a self-defense class and maybe it's a four-hour class or a six-hour class, I get to see such a transformation from the beginning of that day to the end. It's it's like what therapists have to wait weeks and months for. I, I get I get to see immediately because as you are so well aware, we carry trauma in our body. We carry memories in our body of the trauma, and to be able to work that through in a physical way to have been told maybe your whole life that um, you're you're not strong enough. You know you're weak. He's bigger. He's stronger. It's over. That's sort of a message. That's you know pervasive and then to find out actually that's not true your body can be on your side you 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 can your voice is your most powerful self defense to be able to to set a verbal boundary and then if you if they don't listen to that boundary to know that you know my body's not going to betray me i can I, I there are some moves that i can learn fairly easily fairly quickly and master so that i can get myself to safety If you never have to use those moves, and of course, that's my wish for all of my students is that they never have to use the physical techniques that I teach them, right? Because I don't want them in that dangerous, scary situation. But to know that you have them, how much more powerful, how much more confident are you to set a verbal boundary with someone if you know that if they don't respect it, if that person who's coming up to you at your car and you say, hey, back off, get away from me, turn around, and they don't you know, well, I've got something else to back that up. I could actually protect myself if I have to. How much easier is it to say those verbal that, that set that verbal boundary in the first place? So that transformation that I see from the beginning where where students come in and say, I don't know what I would do. I'm kind of scared about what would happen. Or something's happened to me before and I don't know how I could keep that from happening again. And then they end the day with, I, I don't have to wonder whether I could do that. I actually just did that. Right? Most of my classes have male um uh, attackers we call them muggers where they're they're padded up and they get to take those those punches and those hits full force so students have had the experience of creating muscle memory that's in that same adrenaline state that they would be in in a real scenario um in the class and so they leave the class knowing i don't have to wonder could i do that i i can do that and that's that's in me now and that's just that's everything to me
2: well, I think that rehearsal part of it is really important because we know through neuroscience that you're, you're calling it muscle memory, that you're laying down templates that once they do that in your class, then if they were assaulted, that that comes back to them and they can actually have that voice that maybe they wouldn't have had in the same way if they hadn't gone through your class. Right, and I.
4: Yeah, go ahead. I just want to tell really one quick story. Sure, please. It's so powerful, and it just came to me last year. I had a woman; she's actually a therapist in uh, the South Pasadena area, and she took a class with me 20, 25 years ago. Okay, so it was the beginning of my career, um, and she was with a group of other therapists, and they did this one day training with me, and they got to work with the with my associate who had the who's all padded up, and they had that experience. And then a couple years ago, I get a call from her saying, "I want." I got. I have an adult child now. I have other colleagues. I wanted. To, I want to get another class together. So I said, "Sure." So I come and we were checking into this class, and she said, "I have to tell you the reason why I kind of what prompted me to do this now, 25 years later, is that last year or it was like three or four months prior to this class." She said, "I was walking out of my office, and I was on the phone with my husband." And I didn't notice anybody was around. I kind of looked and didn't see anyone. Then I started walking towards my car. And then before I know it, and I'm on a very wide sidewalk. So in other words, like she said, it's like 12 feet wide. So if someone was going to come around me, they have plenty of room to do so. If they're walking faster than me. Well, she doesn't realize until this guy is right behind her. I mean, directly behind her. And she turned around and she put her hands up in the air and she yelled back off. Right. Just like really loud. And he, you know, he was startled and he backed up, but he kind of gave her this like creepy smile. Right. Which is, of course, not the normal reaction that an innocent person would have if you just turned around and yelled at them back off. So she and her husband's freaking out. What's going on? Where where are you? What's happening? And she doesn't turn her back on this guy. He starts to walk away. He gets about a half a block away and he turns around and looks at her and he gives her a very kind of rageful, angry look. Again, confirming this was a predator. And she tells this story. And the reason I think it's so wonderful to tell now is because she said, I didn't even know that was in my body. I didn't remember that I knew that until I turned around and my hands got up in front of my face. She said, I, he was so close, my hands almost touched his face just by putting them up in front of her. And she said, and, and, and it just, I just did it. It just happened. And, and I didn't have to think about it. And I, I love that part. And I also love that. I want the listeners to hear this part of the story. She didn't have to physically fight him. He was so close, he could have grabbed her, but her voice and her body language and her, you know, that commitment to don't even think about it made her an unlikely target for him now. And he was, he walked away. So I love that story, but particularly from what you're talking about with, when we talk about the neuroscience of it, like it's there. And, and then she was like, I want my daughter to have this too.
2: Oh my gosh, that is the best story. So now, are you still doing these classes? Right, you're doing this, I am. this my new project. You're still and, going. We made it through
4: the pandemic, doing some virtual classes. But okay, we'll, so
2: people could contact you through Esteem. Yes,
4: Esteemcommunication.org is the website. So absolutely, check and
2: check you could out arrange we do, a class and we
4: do private classes where you can get your own group together, or we go through organizations. Any any way, I can get a group together. We will
2: do it. We'll make it happen. Well, I, I certainly just want to say that I had a client one time that I invited you to come in and to help. So I saw you in action and it was so powerful and it really did help the client really embody exactly what you're saying. So I, kudos to you for the work that you've done along those lines, Lauren. Thank so, you. so I'm going to turn it over now to, to Joel. And do you have any, do we, you want to respond to anything to that question or I'll go to the next one about the self-defense and the survivors?
3: Well, I... um. I have a different, I have the long view when it comes to the transformation I've seen in survival. All right. Well,
2: let's hear the long view. Yes, please. Um,
3: because in many times in the short view, it's pretty tragic. I see people who, especially when they're first coming forward, who are the lowest of the low but there's this one story that I I take with me everywhere. And I, I know that the work I'm doing is good. And I was, I was working in Delaware and um, I was introduced to a survivor at this event. And he was just, he was a wreck. He was an absolute wreck. And after I met him, I talked to his friend and I'm like, we need to think about suicide intervention. We need to think about this. We need to think about that. So on and so forth. And within about five or six years this person got the help he needed and took care of himself and used the work that I do and that my colleagues do to empower himself. And now he's a state legislator in Pennsylvania. (laughs) And it's like every time I see him, I'm just like, oh my God, you know, And, and I've watched, I have a very dear colleague in the movement who was battling a pretty severe weight problem. And then all of a sudden it started to fall off. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, I'm letting go of, my grief and it just happens and and you see as people begin to understand and grow and, and mature and and i really like that a lot and i really like going to events where people will come up to me and they say "Well, i read your book and something happened and i was able to intervene and i i understood prevention or someone came forward to me and i had something that i knew what to say because i had your book And you
2: tell us the title of the book that you're addressing right now, because I want to make sure people get the, the name of the book.
3: Well, the first one, the prevention one, is um, The Well-Armored Child as a Parent's Guide to Preventing Child Sexual Abuse. And it's a toolkit that goes by age category, so you don't have to sit and read the whole book if your kid is 13 or 14. But it addresses the serious issues that these kids face throughout these points in their lives that will make them more vulnerable to abuse. Just like um, the woman in Lauren's story became a very unattractive target my goal is to help parents make their kids very unattractive targets to predators. And, and then so this, he,
2: this young, this young man who became the state legislator, is that the book he read or what, does, what the other book?
3: No, he had actually, um, he had come to some of the trainings I had done and stuff like that. And the other book is called the compassionate response. And it's how to respond to the survivor of child sexual abuse, because nobody tells you what to do or say when someone comes forward and says, you know, I was sexually abused as a child. Most of us just sit there blank faced and we don't know what to do. We don't know how to report. We don't know any of that. And most of the time people will say the wrong thing. Not that they mean to, it just happens. And so that's been a very, very
2: And is that available on Amazon.com? I know most books are. Or are they- the Compassionate
3: is- Response is a short one. So it's for free for download on my website, which is. Great. And can
2: you tell that's us your from- website? Because that's different from.
3: Yeah, it's castex.com, C-A-S-T-E-I-X. It's my last name. And you can download that book for free. And then The Well-Armored Child is available on Amazon.
2: Okay, great. Because I really want people to have these resources because I think that sometimes people don't even know, well, should I believe it? And you're saying, yes, believe it. And then here's a way to be able to talk to someone with compassion and kindness. And I love the title, by the way. Um, It's a beautiful title, of Transformation. So, you know, is anything else more you want to say about that, Joelle, before we move to another no, question? No, no, I'm good. Okay, okay so, um, so we're going to get to the apps now. So, I understand you're both involved with in developing the apps to address sexual misconduct. Tell us about it. So, so Joelle, I guess start. you get to go first.
3: To well, start. I'll let Lauren start since oh, she's on the show. Okay, go okay, ahead. Okay, well, um, <laughs> yeah, so... so
4: uh, a woman named Donna Moore came to me with this idea of uh, of an app for dealing with sexual harassment. Um, she had originally thought of it uh, as part of a, a storyline for a television series because she's a writer. She's a creator. And um, I think, you know, she first kind of pitched that idea right when the Harvey Weinstein story broke. And I think it might have been just a little too soon. People were a little too gun shy about that kind of thing at the time. But this idea of the app that was within this story, called the Meter, um, stuck. And and we were introduced by a mutual friend. And because this is my area of expertise, is sexual harassment and assault prevention, and that's where it started. And then we just have been working on it and bringing in a wonderful team, including Joelle. Um, to, to, to get this company off the ground and get this app into the hands of as many people as we can. So, the way the app is going to work is that um, you'll get asked, the user gets asked a series of questions about their situation. Um, uh, you know, did, did their hand linger? Uh, did they say something that, um, you know, about your body? Or, you know, like, there's just a series of different questions. And, and based on your answers, it's an algorithm that's, that's kind of calculating. How severe is this? And by the end, you're going to get an answer of, you know, that was just an annoyance or this is uh, just creepy or this is hovering close or this has crossed the line into sexual harassment or this is actually sexual assault. And regardless of your outcome, it's going to give you some action steps to take. And that's the part that's so exciting is that, yes, you're going to get validation for for your experience and like, yes, this is real and this is a problem and it is something that should be dealt with, but then it's going to help you to figure out how to deal with it. Who, who Should I report this? If I do report, what kind of language it, you know, should I use? If I'm going to confront the person, what kind of language can I use to be successful? Like just gives them a series of things and also empowerment tools. To help people, because of course, this is a stressful situation, whether it happened a month ago or yesterday or or a year ago, Um, if this is someone you still have to see if it's a workplace situation. So, that's the sexual harassment meter, and that's the first one that we're going to be launching. So, it's um, called
2: the sexual harassment meter. And I just want to say a little bit about that. I'm working with so many people around the globe. Many women, men, people that don't um, necessarily describe in a a binary way, a non-binary way, have told Mm -hmm. me that there's sometimes they haven't known is this just someone being friendly is it's so can be so nebulous right but usually i always ask them because you know i'm an embodied therapist i go well, what do you notice inside your body when you're telling me about it and often they'll say Ooh, it feels creepy inside. I'm like my stomach gets tight, and I feel tightness. So I think that we also have this meter inside of ourselves, but we sometimes doubt ourselves. Absolutely, and pay attention to it. So I love that you actually have a concretized way that people can ask themselves question to reinforce sometimes what they already know, but maybe don't trust their themselves in the way that we hope that they right. can. Or, or they
4: do what what many women do in particular. Uh, we tend to you know, make our situation seem less than everyone else's. It's just like, it's not that bad. Minimize it. Yeah. We're minimizing compared to what we've seen on a news story about, you know, some horrific harassing situation. And so, this app keeps you from doing that because it's very objective. It's like, you're just answering these questions and then it's going to tell you. Tell you what to do. It's not the exact, exact, like it's not, you know, a legal guideline, but it's guidelines to kind of give you a sense of, yes, this is something that you absolutely should not have to put up with. And let's get some, give you some ideas about what you could do next.
3: Well, and it does use legal guidelines, which is helpful. And it does understand the federal laws, which is important, because predators are tricky. They want to find easy targets and they want to trick them into thinking that what's going on is okay, because sexual harassment is not about sexual attraction, it's about power. And so, the more that you can assert that power, the easier it is to take advantage of more and more people. And so, they normalize it within the the environment in which they work. What the meter does, um, and this is the reason that I haven't written any books lately. Nobody will sit down and read a book about how to prevent, because it, they can't. It's not that instant gratification of this doesn't. They just, it doesn't apply to me. I don't have time for this. I'm in crisis. I'm in stress. And what an app does, because it's in your hand, and it's either provided by you, provided to you by your company. A large corporation would provide it to their um, employees, or you can get it for the individual user. Um, or uh, we're, we're going to have a hopefully a free version that it, so it has a very elementary version of the questions. It will. F- allow people who are going through this to no longer minimize and internalize and give them third-party verification and give them the language for what's happening to them.
2: I just want to reinforce that third-party verification because that is really important for many of us when we're having those questions of wondering. I love that, third-party verification. And
3: and so, because, I mean, it's like we all in our lives say, am I just crazy? Is this all in my head? But... Because you're able to respond to questions that are very, very specific to your situation, because you may just be having, um, you know, Section C of the of the sexual harassment uh, symptoms as opposed to Section A, and no one's no one's actually touching me, and no one's doing this, so it can't be. Well, it's it's educational, it's prevention, and it's early intervention because there are people out there who are in the early stages of sexual harassment who don't have the tools right now to ensure that it won't escalate.
4: Right. And 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 what we know about harassers who are purposely doing this for that power dynamic that you're talking about, it doesn't tend to just go away when you do nothing about it. It almost it, it almost always gets worse. So if we can get this app in people's hands, we don't have to wait until it's crossed the line and they have to go to HR and now there's somebody who they have to report, you know, or they have to fire or they have to they're suing a company because the company didn't do the right thing. We can get to it before that and, and say, yeah, this is looking, this is hovering close and this is not okay. And so here's what you can do to address that situation.
3: Well, and so, it, also give, oh, I'm sorry, it also gives companies the ability to, because you know, sexual harassment is expensive business and it costs companies a lot of money. And if they have a way to empower their employees to give these, these employees a language to express what's happening to them, because going to HR and complaining is, is hard enough. You don't know what to say. Why well, can't we describe what happened? Well, here's the re- you can say, here's the report from my app. And that changes everything. And it also empowers yes. you to talk to the predator, him, him or herself, and be like, hey, look, this I don't... Stop! <laughs> I don't like this behavior, and it's okay for me to ask you to stop. So yeah,
4: I we could we we want to, we may be changing the culture one company at a time, but that's yes. that's that's the way it can
2: happen. And so I wanted to ask, as I know that there's about three different apps that you are developing, but they're not ready yet. So I just want everybody to know that if you go and try to look at for the apps yet, they're not online yet. But we're going to have you come back when they are done but we really wanted to do this show because we wanted to let people know this is coming. And in the meantime, they can still contact you through the website and say the website one more time where they can kind Spottheline.com. Spottheline.com. I'm trying to say it at least three times so people don't forget. Spottheline.com. So, you know, we're, oh my goodness, we're getting close to closing. But uh, there's one question I did, did want to ask you. Technology is often seen as the bad guy when it comes to sexual exploitation. How are you seeking to change that dynamic? And I think you've said a little bit about that, but do you, is there anything more you want to add?
3: Go ahead, Joelle well th- our smartphones have allowed some of our most vulnerable populations to cross that final digital divide and it has empowered everything from micro lending to reporting to police to education and has provided access that didn't exist before but with that access also comes vulnerability and so we see it as this astounding possibility to change so many conversations. Um, because right now, as we said, you know, social media is seen as the bad guy. The internet is seen as the bad guy. But the more we can empower people to not come from a place of fear, but instead to realize that these apps are powerful and you have the tools to not only stop sexual violence, abuse, harassment, whatever, but also to protect your kids. Because, for example, we're working on a a predatory grooming meter that will empower parents and youth-serving organizations to identify those tricky nebulous signs of grooming that nobody can really put their finger on.
2: And so, Joelle, do you think that if you would have had something like that available to you when you were a teenager... Um, and you encounter the predator that 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 sexually abused you. Do you think that could have been something that helped you at that point?
3: Uh, as far as the predatory grooming meter goes, if the school was a culture that had the meter in the hands of educators and parents, yes, my abuse would have been stopped. Because yeah, if and I had so come forward and said something. Someone would said, "Oh, I have to call the police."
2: Right, because there you said something, and they said it was love. Because I really want also to kind of tease out here: there are institutional ways that things are reinforced that um, that disempower individuals when they have been sexually harassed or assaulted, and so it may be really scary, and it may you may have a lot of fear. But let's say you're with somebody. One of our listeners is in that situation right now, and they said, "Well, I think our my institution is like." is like Joelle's, even though it's many years later, they could still contact um, your organization and you would try to help them. Is that correct? I just want to make sure that people know they can reach out.
3: You know, help is available for anyone who has been um, a a survivor of sexual violence or that institutional cover-up. And in fact, in many states, there are very, very robust civil laws that allow survivors to... Really point out what happened to them and get accountability and justice and prevent it from happening again. And so, you know, they can reach out to me. They can reach, out to Lauren. Spot the line. We really focus on the app side of things, but I'll help anybody who calls me.
2: So, okay, great. And I'm, I'm going to take that as your closing comment. You will help anyone that calls you. Yeah. And I'm going to come over. We're, we're almost done. Lauren, is there anything, any parting word you'd like to say?
4: Parting words? Yes. Use the power, this is for the listeners, everybody. It's more of a more of a challenge than parting words. Um, use the power of your voice to speak up when you see something or experience something that's not okay, whether that's harassment or assault or predatory grooming behavior. Being an ally to others is really a powerful role that we can all play. Um, I like to say, I use the analogy of theater, um, that we want to move people from being a passive audience member to being an actor in the scene. Um and, and if we can do that, then we're going to we're going to strengthen our connections and our and our networks so that we'll be working together, and we can really affect positive change that much faster.
2: And as you're as you say that in both of your closing statements, I'm just also wanting to, um, you know, remember our listeners that Joel and Lauren are sharing with us what else is true about their lives. Yes, they experienced sexual harass se- sexual abuse, and yet they've not been silent. And it wasn't necessarily an easy journey. And I so all of you that are thinking about there, well, I I do I want to be, I want to have a voice. I don't want to be silent, but maybe I'm afraid. So to know too, be gentle with yourself. I'm going to come back to what Joelle said, you know, the grace, the self-compassion. Cause sometimes there's a lack of readiness. And that doesn't mean you won't be ready at some point, but you may not be ready at this moment in time, but to know that if you're thinking about it, there's places where you can go to get more guidance and getting more help. And and remember, for these two, what else has been true about their lives? I'm so touched by the advocacy they both have in their lives and this new venture of technology that I personally think has the power to be scalable, be um, something where we can... Get institutions to look at this in a different way that can really change the way that um, that we suffer. I mean, we won't have to suffer anymore in the same way. We have we have we have avenues to to uh, to go to that that you two didn't have when you were younger, when you were smaller. But there can be avenues now. So with that. Um, I'm going to say um, goodbye to our listeners today, and please remember what else is true about your life and cultivate that well-being that I know exists within all of us. Thank you. Thank you, you two. Thank you so much. Thank
4: Thank you, you. Elaine.